You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 6, Episode 9. Carissa, how are things going? Things are going pretty well here, feeling the uh, surprise that creation can sometimes throw at you. I had a plant that flowered for the first time this week, and it turns out that the flowers smell terrible. What I thought was a princess of the night turns out to be something called a carrion cactus or a starfish cactus, and it absolutely smells like death when it blooms. It's very exciting. Uh, how are you? Uh, I, I'm getting over the uh, the adrenaline of having an argument in the parking lot with a parent uh, from the nursery school, so... <laughs> oh, lucky you. The joys of ministry are the gift yes, that keep on giving. Yes. The, jo- <laughs> the joys of tenants in the space who are not part of the church community. Yeah, yeah. Well, while we talk about church community, we've been blowing up the church for a couple of weeks now. And <laughs> uh, so far, the censors haven't nabbed us for blowing things up. So we're going to keep doing that. Um, we have a, another guest here with us this week. Uh, Rich, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, first of all, for inviting me to come on to your podcast. I love the title, Soft Idolatry, and I love that you're in season six, and this is episode nine. So I am uh, looking forward to maybe going back and hearing some of your podcasts. So uh, my name is Rich Jones. I'm a uh, PCUSA pastor who is also um, has shared uh, communion with uh, the UCC. So I am actually my ordination is in both the PCUSA and the UCC now, and um, which basically means I have to stay in good standing in both the PCUSA and the UCC. So I have to go to lots of Presbyterian meetings, and I'm actually serving on a committee in the Presbytery, and also involved in the UCC Association and conference meetings. So I have lots of meetings, but I love it. Good <laughs> sure people. Like it. Uh, but I'm where, pastoring. A, where do you serve? Yeah, like that? I'm pastoring a church in. Uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, in the neighborhood of Finneytown, and um, it's actually a, a great neighborhood, uh, very diverse. Our high school, we have a public high school, Finneytown High School, small independent public school that is the fourth most diverse school in Ohio, uh, and uh, so lots of great opportunities for um, different conversations, but uh, I've lived here for 21 plus years. I uh, was associate pastor at North Mr. Presbyterian, and uh, which is right down the street, and left there to pastor a church in the neighborhood next to ours, and now back in the neighborhood at Flamingo UCC, and which is where I belong at a church in my neighborhood. Very, very nice. It, it is. Uh, I, I can I can speak to that too. I I am less than a mile from the church I serve, and my previous. Uh, pastor it was an interim pastor and it was about a 45 minute commute yeah well the church that i was at before i mean in between north mr and you know it was actually only 12 minutes from my door to the church but just you know just in a different neighborhood it was on near the uc campus but um anyway yeah there's something to be said for being near to the place that you're trying to instill and lead 
community, you know, that's been one of my, my struggles too during my pastorates is I have never been pastoring a church that's very close. The closest one was 15 minutes. Um, the furthest was 45 minutes if I got lucky with traffic. Um, there was one time it took almost two hours to oh get out there. And so it's, you know, it's impossible to like build those community bonds when you're that far away. So yeah. well, I tell people all the time, one of the beauties of being here for so long and being so involved um, in the school district and, and in the neighborhood, I'm a known quantity and that's good and bad and, uh, mostly good, I think. Uh, but people know me and it's, um, and I know them. It's hard to hide. Yeah. I think that's as it should be <laughs> to yeah. be, to be honest. Yeah. Um, well, we, um, as you know, we're, we're talking about what, what would things look like if we started from the ground up with church? Because a lot of us feel like that's what we're having to do. Um, churches that are figuring out how to be church now as we're trying to come out of the COVID days. Um, many haven't met for very long since that all started or haven't even met back in person again. And so it does feel like starting from scratch. And even in my setting, um, it feels like we're going to be starting from scratch because we went from, you know, 25 worship services a week in our facility to just the ones on playing on the video screens, um, you know, from a, a group of a couple hundred chaplains to just a, a handful of staff chaplains. And so, you know, I, I think we are all kind of in that place of, well, now what, what do we do from the very beginning? So what do we do? That That's your cue, Rich. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually, you know, it's like a, I've had time to think about this question and I'll take it from this place uh, just to go like, obviously like, Culture was in isolation before COVID. We've known that for a while. Church was on a, on a massive uh, decline. Um, people are deconstructing, asking questions. Um, and then COVID just kind of exposed that even more. Like most churches, our church, there have been people that were on the edges, uh, maybe somewhat involved, but with COVID, that gave them the license to stop coming. And, um, you know, and that's their deal. Uh, no judgment there, but um, I do think that one of the things that I don't know if we want to erase the entire institutional church. You know, there's a book that Chris and I had to read about tradition innovation, but you do learn from the past in order to create something new into the future. And so my my take on this would be: where are we evolving towards? Like, what is new that's going to come out of it? I mean, we can't go back to the first century, nor do we want to. Um, and we can't go back to the models of the first century, nor do we want to. But what we can do are look at some of the characteristics of the church, right? I mean, you know, it's like being in a neighborhood, I can't hide. And, and I think in the first century, you couldn't hide there either. I mean, you know, you look at people that tried to hide and, and there's some pretty poignant stories and acts about, well, you know, you're hiding and, and, and now you're exposed. Um, you know, some very vivid and, you know, even death <laughs> in terms of trying to hold things back. And so not that we want to do that today, but um, there is a sense of like, you, how do you get to a place of being in the characteristic of the first century where people came together and shared life together. 
um, how do you get to a place of being in a uh, unwrapping the competition cycles that we have in our churches? Um, how do you get to a place where we're in this together across a neighborhood? How do you get to a place where, you know, you have um, authenticity, vulnerability, and a deep sense of communion? So I, I think it's fascinating. Like, you know, I had a conversation today with one of our older church members. Great guy. I love the guy. He's been with me on lots. Of, but he's he and a lot of other people have anxiety because there's a new church that popped up in our neighborhood, church plant. And they're doing a traditional church plant. They've got some money and so they're trying to do a big you know contemporary worship and um it's a, you know it's kind of one of those kinds of churches and, and so they have a big billboard in the middle of our neighborhood which i think is interesting you know in a neighborhood that's so diverse and you put up a billboard and whatever I, you know I, I know the people that are starting it they're good people lovely people but anyway, it's caused some anxiety within our church. Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? I'm like, welcome. You know, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> it's like, um, and and let's find ways to, to, to work with them. And they're our neighbors. Um, but, but it's fascinating because we are so stuck in this culture, in this co- competitive transactional mindset that was just something that is unique in our times and something that we have to evolve away from. Could, could you from def- put a little more definition around competitive transactional environment? What's that? I'm sorry. Uh, could you put a little more definition around competitive transactional environment? I think, I think I understand what you're talking about, but uh, break that down uh, like it's from page two of your sermon. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of transactional, I mean, we feel like, you know, it's like we, we have this model of, of church in our context of people come, they, they pay a tithe and they get programs and they get different things. We become purveyors of religious goods as opposed to being a transformational, um, authentic community where we come together and are vulnerable with one another in appropriate ways, as Brene Brown would say. Um, and, um, and, and are sharing life together and then becoming a, a sense of a place of deeper awareness of who we are, a deeper awareness of our neighbors, uh, a deeper awareness of the activity that I would say the divine activity, the, the God activity that's already in our neighborhoods and then joining that, uh, for relationship, for friendship, for communion, for community. And that's where true growth happens. Instead, we've settled for transactions. Um, and that shows up in all sorts of different ways, not only with programs that are attractional, if you will, you know, come to this and be a part of us, um, as opposed to um, come and take a risk with us to be in relationship and friendship. We'll be a little messy. You'll be a little messy but we'll figure out some things together as we go along and, uh, and be a, a, a source, an alternative to what the systems of the world offer. And uh, that's, that's hard work. Um, 
And, and the competitiveness comes out of the transaction. It's like, if we aren't attractive enough, then they're going to go somewhere else. People, neighbors, which I'm like, they're not going to go somewhere else because they don't care anymore. The church is not that relevant to them or viable at this point. So we have to have a, a, a different mindset, a different heart set, one that's more about like, well, what is our adaptive challenge in this season as a church universal and then as a particular church? And it's not to be competitive with other churches to get more members. Um, it's to love our neighborhood well. To, to I use the word mutual conversion or the phrase mutual conversion to, to go into the neighborhood to befriend people so that they can change us as well as changing them. Like every friendship, like this conversation that we're having, we'll walk away from it changed. We may or may not recognize it, but that's part of the interaction. That's the physics of it all. It's transformational. So, so how, how do you see that playing out in your particular context? Well, like I, well, like with this new church, I and mean, I, I know the people. I mean, they used to be neighbors of ours that are starting it. <laughs> it's like, oh, I need to have coffee with them. We keep on talking about doing that, but we just haven't done it. I've had a few other things going on. Uh, but, um, um, you know, just working things out and then partnering together. You know, the church that I was on staff at for 13 years, and, and they, they don't have a, an intentional mindset to be uh, community-based, but they're unintentionally doing it in beautiful ways. And so we've partnered with them on uh, what we call a Connect Day, where we serve the community doing different projects. But the idea is, I mean, the project is secondary. Uh, we get in there and build friendships and uh, share stories swap stories and uh and along the way find connections and we, then we don't we find that we, we like what other who other people are we're not trying to compete for their members and vice versa we're trying to find ways that we can be together and uh it's kind of like dating you know <laughs> we're building a friendship you know it's like you get together for coffee i mean um, or gather, you know, at a brewery for a beer or two. I mean, you just, you get to know each other and then finding the gift of, you know, being able to do what God does with us, you know, empty yourself into somebody else. It's so difficult to doing that with us. Yeah. And it's so difficult to break out of those patterns in, in church of um, what's a scarcity mindset right? As the church gets smaller and the resources dwindle, uh, we panic more and more about just surviving to the next moment. Um, and, you know, there, there's this great, um, great NPR piece out there from a while ago about scarcity mindset. And, you know, we want to tell people, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just do better. But when you can barely afford food, saving is just not on your radar right. and just like biologically and neurologically, we just can't handle that. And I think churches in a way are doing that same thing. Like the less resources we have available, the more we panic about what resources we have available and the less we actually start doing kingdom work. And so getting out of that mindset is just so, so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I have learned that my call is actually just to 
get this congregation past its place of anxiety. You know, we have been laboring for 18 years under a mortgage that we could not afford. At the time, we could afford it. But uh, it's been a major point of congregational anxiety. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's that little bit of a honeymoon the first year that you're there. And uh, we're, we're looking at maybe some some slow growth, you know, eight members this year, 10 members another year. And, you know, maybe we can get past that. And then the pandemic hit. And that just really amped up everyone's anxiety. And that that hasn't gone away, but at least we can uh, take away a major source of anxiety by paying that off. And I think in part because of the anxiety, we were more willing to uh, liquidate an endowment that we had, uh, cash in an asset, which is... As, as I know, both of you know, is like touching the third rail. <laughs> but uh, but we actually have done that. And so um, it is my sincere hope that that takes us to a point of lower anxiety. And, uh, you know, you don't know what your, what the work of your call is going to be until you're there for a little while. But... Uh, it seems to me that that this is the work of my pastorate is to get them uh, these last steps past anxiety. Uh, when I got here, they still wanted to be the church that they were 15, 20 years earlier. Yeah. Well, there's definitely that. And I think every church experiences that. You know, there's a sense of nostalgia of, of a previous age when we had more people. But obviously, and we all know this, you know, it's like, Things were never as great as you remember them. And there is a sense of where you can't stop evolution towards something different or you just die. And, and, and actually, you know, death is not a bad thing. I mean, you know, our, our tradition is that there is resurrection, but, and this is the throes of, of, of life and death. It's like, it's hard and it's hard for people. It's hard for institutions to, to shift and change um, and to adapt. Um, but that's the work that we do, right? And and there is some exciting stuff within that. Uh, it, it is taxing. I mean, when you add all the changes, and I, there's not a clergy person that I know that's not struggling right now in some way. And if they say they aren't, they're lying. Or they're really good at, at covering over stuff because you can only hold stuff so much. So when you add, when you talk about COVID, social unrest, shifting church, trying to adapt to that, trying to be innovative, trying to be all those things, trying to love your people well, um, trying to receive what your people are giving to each other and, and to you as well. And then you add in your own, your own personal stuff, you know, dealing with families. You know, we've got shifts in our family. Um, loss, you know, and you deal with all the things that everybody else is dealing with too. You can be, we can be in an overwhelming time, but we are still evolving into something else. Um, as I've shared with my congregation, you know, we're, we do live in apocalyptic times. Things are being revealed 
things are coming to the surface, not only culturally, but also within ourselves. That's one of the gifts of the pandemic, as well as the gifts of just, you know, loss in other ways. You know, those things keep on surfacing. And so we can either, you know, which I think is the trajectory of the Jesus teaching, one of them, a lot of it, is to continue to bring things to the surface. You can't hide. When it's all at once, it's hard. Thank God for my therapist, my spiritual director, my group of, 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 of friends that hold me account. Well, they don't hold me account. It's, it's a deeper than accountability. We have faith in each other. Um, but it can be crazy. But in the midst of that, as you embrace this season, we are moving into something that I think is good. And good is not happy. Good is not um, roses and, and, and full parking lots or pews or whatever. It is deeper and meaningful. It's, it's moving into the, 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 the beauty of a place, um, the beauty of who you are, which even as you continue to get the crap out of you, as you embrace that and as you embrace that within your congregations. Um, yeah. I like to say, actually I use stronger language, but you know, I don't, I don't know who's listening. This is a podcast. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's nothing either one of us has ever said. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, there's a lot of crap that's produced in life and crap can make amazing, um, uh, compost Mm -hmm. for other things to grow. So, yeah, it, it, it can be overwhelming, though. I mean, it, it, we have to we have to take that into consideration, too. I, I think clergy all need a sabbatical at this point. Yes. Yes. I'm actually going away this weekend with a clergy friend. Um, we're just going to ride our bicycles and drink wine you. for three days. And Good it's going to be delightful because um, we yeah, we need to um, have that grace for ourselves as well as the people around us. And, um, and we've talked about that throughout the pandemic too, on the podcast, just this idea of, you know, that this is really hard and it is bringing a lot of things to light that we need to note. And we also need to be gentle with ourselves and the people around us because everybody is handling it in a variety of ways. And many of them aren't great <laughs> ways to handle stuff. So, um, yeah, but it is like this turning over this new, this new season in the church universal. I sincerely hope and pray that it is because this last season has been dragging on for a long time. It's like that March in Pittsburgh when everything is sloppy and gross and spring just will not be here. It's like always winter, never Christmas. And man, yeah, something is coming. I got together. This is, uh, I got together with one of our church leaders yesterday. He's a church member, great, great person. And she was, and, um, you know, so I was telling, you know, telling her about, you know, my therapist and some other things. And uh, she's like, you know, Rich, what you just really need to do, you just need to drink more. <laughs> Alan and I support this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I, I, I had I, I godly, I did what's anyway. It was funny. But, uh, and, and I kind of laughed. I'm like, great. Now my church has encouraged me to drink more. I don't need any more encouragement than that. 
it, it, encouraging is better than driving you to it. Yeah, exactly. No, they're not. Actually, our congregation has been great, but uh, no, it's, yeah. yeah. Yes. Even in a great congregation, this isn't a wonderful time to be a leader of anything. <laughs> no, and it, it is. You know, and I'm, you know, one of the things that you, you have the question, what might we lose and what might we, might we gain? One of the things I've been sharing with our, and it's hard with people that have been taught all their lives about the individualism, mm-hmm. yeah. about pull yourself up. You know, you, you don't need, you don't need a therapist. You don't need, um, you know, you can do this, you know, uh, buck it up. Um, you know, we have valued that, but it's what's also that's killing us. Mm-hmm. And when we read scripture and it's a hard orientation and in the American church specifically, um, we have created this, landscape of piety and of per, or of personal piety and of um, individualism that just isn't going to get us anywhere. And so the only alternative to that is to be vulnerable and to lean in and trust the community. And you, the three of us know that sometimes in some congregations or even in the congregations we may serve now, that that vulnerability has been used against us and has been caused quite a bit of personal trauma. But then there are seasons when that vulnerability is received by enough that things can begin to shift and change within us and within the congregation and within the community, I believe. You know, when I tell my people that are anxious, like, okay, get more vulnerable. Let's get, let's bring it out. You know, you're, you're anxious about this church. Well, go meet them and tell them that you're anxious and be vulnerable with that and then see what happens. Maybe, maybe something can happen. Uh, friendship can erupt. Understanding. But if we're not willing to be vulnerable, if we're not willing to take some of those risks, then I don't know how we're going to get anywhere. Because what that what that does when you are vulnerable, you're following in the way of Jesus. Like Jesus, you know, the compelling story of Jesus is that he did love well. He did believe in people. He did not let folks hide. I mean, one of my best friends here in Cincinnati, or one of my closest friends, um, doesn't let me hide. Uh, you know, Peter Block is one of those guys who just, whenever we're in a meeting or anything, if there's something that he feels like I'm, I'm throwing some, like, and he does it in a way that is very loving. Not, not, and, I, and I appreciate that. It's actually helped me to kind of, it actually is an affirmation. Um, and I think that's what our churches need. Um, you know, we, we, we have created places where they hide. And we can't do that anymore. We have to be exposed. So anyway, the way of Jesus is he would lovingly call people out, out of themselves, not in a necessarily always a confrontational way, but a loving way. And... And like to show up to be present. It's like that Ubuntu uh, mindset or Sanawa greeting in Africa. You know, um, uh, I see you. And then the response is, I am here. That's what our congregations are longing for, really, is to be seen and to be present. And if we can do that, then I think that there's something there that, that can continue to move us towards um, 
something really good. But anyway, the way of Jesus demonstrated even on the cross. Um, I mean, Jesus, like I've got this big stained glass window in my office from the old old church. Love it, but it's like Jesus on a cross. But he's covered a little bit in the sections that, you know, modesty. He wasn't covered on the cross. I mean, everything was out there. He was exposed. He could not hide. And he was humiliated. I mean, that's the scandal of the cross, right? But love wins. And as my spiritual director has been reminding me, you know, in the resurrected body of Jesus, he still has those scars, those marks of humiliation, but they're redeemed and they're healed, but they're still there. And so how do we get our congregations to, to, to let go of this uniquely American that we have successfully exported to other parts of the world, um, this sense of individualism? that is running us into the ground. How do we let go and lose that, which may cause our death in some ways, but we can resurrect into something else. What if Thomas you Martin could let us know when you solve that, we would be grateful. Oh, it's a journey. Yes, please. <laughs> too. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm on this, you know, I mean, gosh, <laughs> and, and it can be exhausting. But we have to continue to come back to and have moments like you got, you know, coming up with your friend and drinking wine and doing who knows what else. Um, and then, um, you know, I'm going to the monastery and, and, you know, I'm actually looking forward to Pittsburgh, you know, with our cohort here soon. And um, we need those things of rest as well as energy around other people. Um, Sabbath, but we also needed to continue to risk to, to be vulnerable. And I think that's the mark of the early church, honestly. The shapes and forms, again, like I said earlier, they're always going to look different. I, I don't know where church is heading. I mean, you know, Chris and I are getting our doctrine and where the church is heading, missional leadership and how to adapt. None of us really knows what it's going to look like at the end of the day. I think we're all going to know less about that when we're done than more. Right. And I talk to people all over the world about this stuff, great friends, and none of us know where it's going. Mm -hmm. But there is a sense of the, I I just, yeah, I just think getting that place of authenticity. And I think that's what actually people outside the church are actually clamoring for. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And they're tired of the lights and the smoke machines and the programs that we offer endlessly. Um, they're just tired. So they want something different. And that different is just being yourself. And I think that's what the church needs is to, but it, it, that's hard. I mean, we have to unwrap hundreds of years of, of um, some beautiful traditions. I mean, I, I love being Presbyterian. I love the Kirking of the Tartan service when I was in the, Peace USA Church um, uh, here in the German Church, German I mean, UCC is kind of like German Presbyterians. I mean, we we got the Lederhosen, we've got our beer, we've got our sausage that we make once a year. We actually make sausage at our church. Um, fun traditions. I'm not saying that knocking any of those, but you know, how do we unwrap the trauma of 
that we've inflicted upon ourselves over hundreds of years that have been more about control and less about freedom and grace. True freedom, not the freedom that we talk about in America to do whatever the hell you want. It's freedom to, to, to be yourself, which is connected to other people. I mean, Thomas Merton nailed it. I mean, when he was standing on my corner in Louisville and saying that I am, I am more, I'm alive to myself right now, my true self, as I'm looking out at these people that are walking past me and knowing that I am connected to every single one of them. I, I was recently uh, at a distillery uh, in Gethsemane, Kentucky. God bless you. Well, that's, yeah, that's the monster I go to every year. Okay. Yeah, that was my salvation when I was 22, you know, of all places with Youth for Christ, which mm. seems like a hundred lifetimes ago. Um, luckily, I had a director with Youth for Christ who was very, fairly progressive, but loved Thomas Merton and made us go to the Abbey of Gethsemane. And as an Enneagram 3, being forced to go to a monastery um, was hell the first time but now it's my salvation i forgot i was here with two threes today oh my goodness i'm overwhelmed by the ambition in the room she she tells me i'm a three i really um, yeah i'm still practicing the myers-briggs astrology yeah well if you're a three and i'm a three and um chris is a seven those are all aggressive stance numbers so we are like out there right now we're like we will make ourselves known. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a good friend who, when we started the podcast, she said, well, you put a three and a seven in a room together and a podcast comes out. That sounds about right. Yep. <laughs> it just gives us a space to hear ourselves talk for a while. Yeah. Um, and on that note, we should probably start wrapping up today. Um, and because uh, I think we could we could certainly um, mine this for quite some time, but I'm hearing some consistent themes um, with all of the guests we've had the past few weeks. Um, you know, some of those big idols that are really getting in our way are nostalgia, mm-hmm. which probably shouldn't surprise anyone who's been in ministry ever. But nostalgia is a big one. Individualism. Mm-hmm. Um, or as I put it a couple weeks ago, Billy Graham. <laughs> um, yeah. So those are some of those, those big ones. And just that, um, the fronts that we put on false so image don't see us. Yeah. Mass. Yeah. We'll be high behind. Yeah. But that's hard. I mean, you know, I, I have to give a lot of grace to churches because mm-hmm. in congregants, you know, we're asking them to do some hard work yeah. of awareness. We how are, long and, has it taken us? And we get right. we get paid to do this stuff. They don't. Right. And they've also had generations of us doing it for them or nobody even being asked to do it. Yes. You know? yep. Uh yep. This, this is the first time that some of them are being mm-hmm. asked to step out of their comfort zones. And uh so they they there's sort of a a deer in the headlights look when when we say be the church. You know. We have done a great job of building up a church. We've done a poor job of building up a communion in the community. Mm-hmm. That'll preach. That'll preach. Any final thoughts before we wrap up today? 
I think I think we've I, I think uh, Rich has really framed everything up nicely. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Five hours of sleep. That's what it does. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to run on run on lower lower gas tank there. Um, yeah. Uh, well, Rich, if you don't mind, we'd love to ask you to offer up a prayer, and then we'll uh, we'll head out. You know, I, gosh, there's a great Celtic prayer, but I'm not going to take the time to to look it up. I've been reading Anamkara. <laughs> Uh, John O'Donohue's book. It's been so healing. But in the spirit of Anam Kara, soul friends, um, may you go. Oh, you want a prayer or a blessing? I guess you know what dealer's choice. May you go in peace, knowing that we are all connected in communion, knowing that God and God's beautiful divine flow moving in and through and all around us connecting us to each other, connecting our congregations, connecting us to all people. Um, may you go knowing that you're not alone. May you go knowing that you're beautifully stuck together with all of us. And amen. 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 And when you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. Okay, yeah, I'm going to cut you off any minute here, Olson. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.com patreon.com slash soft idolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. <laughs>